welcome to Everything Preacher. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm here with Keith Krepko and Rob Adams. We're currently watching AMC's Preacher, and today we are talking about episode eight, El Valero. Thoughts? General impressions? <laughs> Get right into it. Um, I'll say this. I was... After the episode was over, immediately after the episode was over, I was unimpressed but I, I i had more respect for the episode after i read some stuff about it yeah i i think i'm in agreement um i think for me it this episode i think was the final adjustment for me to get on board with what they're doing with this show and i think i've kind of been fighting it the whole season not fighting it but really i've been honestly trying to figure it out um just so i can get on board or realize if i if i am on board and this uh episode i think was the turning point of realizing what show they're going for and i think i get it now with the tone i'm now left to wonder how I'll feel when the whole season's over. Right. Um, if I like it, but I get it. I get what they're going for. I like this episode. Fine. There are some things that I had issues with, um, that mainly related to tone and less to character, um, or story, which is good. But, um, but yeah, I would, I would say it's a, it's a good, episode not definitely not great but not a bad one i liked it i liked the humor i liked it better a second time watching it through uh the first time i i guess i was also left just a little blah afterwards um but i didn't do any extra reading like you guys did but i did a second watch and that definitely helped it um yeah it it made a lot of things more make more sense yeah i listened to their insider podcast and that mm -hmm. actually helped some too yeah, I listened to that and I read the AV write up on it. Mm -hmm. Um just because I was a little confused by some of the stuff in the episode, which uh let's just talk about the opening to me was I think Jeez. it well, I think it it gave <laughs> it gave me a feeling of like a non comic book reader where I'm watching this thing and I'm by the end of it I'm kind of thinking should I have understood what that was or what the connection between the two was? Mm -hmm. um, because I don't. Mm -hmm. And so I felt a little lost. Now, maybe I wasn't watching it as closely. After reading the AV write-up, I know exactly what it is. And after listening to the Insider podcast, they talk about how there are all of these context clues in the previous episodes of the season that explain these things, things that I never picked up on. Apparently there's a picture, a picture yeah. of the family at the ski resort on Ken Cannon's desk that you can see like while he's playing Qbert. Um, there's something else that happens earlier in the, in the, uh, Oh, earlier in the season, you get the scene where you're just focused on Jesse as a kid and you can hear his dad arguing with, Mm -hmm. Ken Cannon, mm -hmm. and then all you see is Jesse walk by and look in the office and see something startling, but you don't see what he sees. Mm -hmm. And so that's 
all of this is now tying in together. I also think we have another clue somewhere. I seem to remember a time when we we did find out that his family was dead. We didn't know how, but we knew that he was the only one left. Or am I making that up? No, I think you're right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. They talk about how he has no lineage left, right? Something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, apparently the, the, the opening of the show is you're seeing what amounts to the death of his entire family at the ski resort. Uh, and then he somehow gets their bodies shipped to his office. And he then kills a cow to compare the innards of both. Right. And, and he ends up apparently mutilating his own daughter and comparing the two and then coming to the realization that there is nothing in here. It's all just meat. And sort of that is the uh, genesis of Kim Cannon's evil power, I guess. His origin story. His yeah, it's his origin story. Origin story. So it comes down to him just. I, I, I guess, in, and I don't know if this is true in the comics, but if, so apparently in the show, his, uh, his motive is just that, is, is kind of, I guess, the exact opposite of Jesse's, where it just says there is no God, there is no spirituality, we're all just meat. So it's not a obsession with, like a physical, lustful obsession with meat that he has in the comics. Mm-hmm. It's like a... Sort of like a metaphysical obsession with the fact that we're all just meat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I think they mentioned this on the entire podcast, but Jesse is kind of like an activating force in his life. Because before Jesse kind of calls him out and makes this a kind of battle of religious wills, Mm -hmm. he's playing Q-Bert. He's... You know, villainous to a point, but mm. he's not mowing people down. And he seems a little listless for a he's villain. He's a little listless. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, really, Jesse has kind of sparked him and has right. set the him serve, off. The serve God thing set him off. Right. So he's, he is still adhering to Jesse's command or Genesis, Genesis's command of serve God, which is to... His God is meat. Yeah, couldn't Jesse just do the word again and amend it? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so after that, um, we we uh, go into the church, and uh, Eugene is back. Um, digs his way out of hell. Digs his way out of hell, right? Which is which? Apparently, uh, Jesse wasn't wrong digging in the dirt. Well, I mean, if the hallucination <laughs> can be believed, I guess. Yeah. Because he says something along the lines, it's not that far it's away not or that something. Far, yeah. Yeah. How creepy was that when he's like, it's not that far? Like, yeah. that was like, that was really creepy. That, that was a, like, the delivery of that was, was fantastic. Yeah. So I, I, as soon as it happened, uh, and this was something that came up in the AV Club article and something that Keith, you also wrote down in the notes, was as soon as it happened, my immediately my my immediate thought was this is a hallucination. Yeah. But they keep with it for so long and they play it so straight that you start to doubt that and you start to think okay, well, I guess this is just another crazy turn that this show is taking. 
And th- there's also something off about Eugene. Yeah. And they stick with it so long that you go from, oh, hallucina- hallucination to, okay, real, to, is Eugene going to eat him or <laughs> mutilate him? In some Like, it just had this creepy undercurrent of tension that I thought was really well done. But sorry, I interrupted. Go on. No, the only thing I, I had to say is eventually I started I started to get the feeling uh, I'm I'm getting the same feelings uh, along the lines of the Patty uh, uh, hallucinations that um whatever his name ha- uh, is it Kevin Kevin has in the leftovers or even Mr Robot now that season two is that's on. true yeah Mr Robot uh, but I mean ultimately J- or, uh, Eugene has now literally become like the manifestation of Jesse's consciousness, right? Like he's, he's the, uh, he's going to be the direct pushing and pulling. I feel like he's just going to appear at will whenever Jesse's struggling with something. So does that mean you, you guys think Eugene is gone and this is the only Eugene we're going to get if we get any at all. It's going to be this, um, conscience uh angel like sitting on his shoulder type type thing for jesse or do you think there's still going to be some attempt to get him from hell he's going to come back from hell yeah i think there has to be some kind of resolution i don't know if that resolution is him coming back but they definitely still have to address it yeah what's what's interesting and it's kind of uh, in, in falling, breaking bad, you kind of heard that their approach was to write themselves into corners mm-hmm. and then see how they could get out. Right. And so I do kind of and, wonder, and usually that resulted in just decapitating a guy and strapping <laughs> it to an explosive turtle. Right. Okay. We've, we've backed ourselves into a corner. Uh, everything explodes and Walter walks away. Okay, good. Um, no. So, uh, what happens when a physical body goes down to hell? Mm-hmm. I mean, Eugene has to die in some sense. Like, he has to be resurrected in order for him to come back. Like, it's not like he's going to come back with some burn marks on his body from being in hell. Right? Because he's going to a metaphysical place. So, mm-hmm. these are the questions that. I'm left to wonder, like, are they just going to be like, don't think about it too hard. Eugene's back when he does come back, because I think he will. Or is he, does he have to be dead now because he's in hell? Right. Is he gone? Something I was thinking about a lot was, was this a hallucination from Jesse? Or is this something where, something maybe on the let's say that the angels are trying to get genesis now what if someone on the other side is trying to get genesis and they they let like they put maybe like a demon like projection to impersonate to try and get genesis in in eugene's form um i was just trying to trying to think is is there something else to it is it as simple as a hallucination or is there someone else with stakes in this game you know, that's trying to use him to get to Jesse. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with the more direct, simple answer that they just 
want Eugene back and they're just making him a, a hallucination on Jesse's part. <laughs> right. He, well, he's a manifestation of Jesse's guilty conscience, right? Like he feels bad for what he did. And now it's, it's he, this, he's having these tormenting visions. Yeah. I mean, the, that's kind of the feeling I got from it. What What's interesting though is does Jesse seem tormented? Even no. when he's talking to Eugene? <laughs> he barely barely what? apologizes. He seems more like afraid to get caught and afraid to like for Hugo to find out about it. Like at, at first Eugene's like, don't call him. But then when Hugo's coming, he's like he wants to have a talk with him, like, look, you know, like nobody needs to know, you know, what exactly happened. And it's very, very strange. Like he is not tormented at all. I think tormented might be a strong word, but I definitely think he's conflicted. I mean, at one point in this episode, he agrees to willingly give Genesis back to the angels. Yeah. I think it's more interesting though, to think of him as he's like disassociative of what he's done because even in all of his remorse, he basically says like, Hey, Eugene, basically I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It's like, Eugene, thanks for not being sore with me, man. Mm -hmm. That's great. And he doesn't mention Cassidy. He doesn't like seem to have a dark night of the soul moment. He just kind of seems like, hey, it's good to have you back. And now we got to defend the church. And uh, I don't know. And that's part of the the thing. I, I guess I started off saying that I had a better handle of what the show's trying to do than I that I'm now revealing mm-hmm. because I don't know how sincere to take the characters when they've put them in this outsized universe. I don't know. Like if you had to boil down, what is Jesse's character motivation right now in relationship to the people in his life? I mean, what is it? he, he seems to be more invested in protecting a physical church mm-hmm. than he does about maintaining relationships with people or even coming to a realization of how far he sunk, even when he's talking to the, to the angels about you know, how he's just kind of ruined everything. He still isn't... He's, he's, still, he's talking about it as like... A, <clears throat> like he's just analyzing it. You know, I don't feel him like feeling what he's done. He's just kind of acknowledging it. And he just wants to take a step away from it. Like it, not because he's, he's remorseful at all, just because he's just done with it. Yeah. He's done with it. Yeah. It seems like, Hey, look, I tried. Apparently I'm not, I can't hold this power. I sent someone to hell. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, he tries to make a deal for them to get Eugene back, which I thought was nice, but he doesn't seem like, He's going to get Genesis out and then go on a hell-bent mission of redemption. It seems like he's just going to, like, move on. So with the two best characters out of the way, uh, Eugene and Cassidy for me, like, how long can the show last before we have to see them again? We have to, like, spend time with them again. Well, we, we don't like Cassidy. Jesse anymore. We don't like Tulip. You know, we haven't in a long time. And um, you can't really root for Donnie or any, you know, any of... King Cannon's thugs. It's like they really need to bring those characters back. What about Tulip's uncle? What about Miles? I'm not a fan of Miles. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously, like, we, we got the tease of Cassidy. He's he's definitely coming back. Yeah, I think he'll yeah. be back next episode. Um, yeah, next next episode. So, I think he's going to come back. Um, I think Tulip is still showing a devotion to Jesse, even in things that she's doing now that she's... A completely uninteresting devotion to Jesse. Yeah, I think that she's trying to get Cassie back to health to go back and try and get Jesse away from the church. And they're going to they're going to be the source of his rescue. Don't you kind of get that sense? Uh, at the end they're going to be fighting against Kin Cannon with him. I mean, Jesse's not going to be fighting against Sure, yeah. the whole town by himself. I mean, I don't see that set up story-wise, but I see it, you know, like well, you archetype-wise, like they're his two friends, so of course they'll be there. I don't know how it's going to work within the story. How many episodes do you have? Two? Two. Yeah, I think nine and ten, right? <laughs> this is such a weird season. <laughs> this is such a weird-paced show. All right, well, let's talk about the the brief uh, Tulip uh, Cassidy scenes we get. We see Tulip picking up a stray dog from the pound that nobody wants. Uh, it's it's a very brief scene and and I'm thinking I guess I'm just not a smart watcher of television and I'm just easily sort of led by the nose so I'm I'm just seeing the scene and I'm thinking why in the world is she getting a dog right <laughs> and that's the only feeling I have left after that scene is over it's like why outside of the sort of very tortured metaphor that it's a dog that nobody wants right I don't see the purpose of it. But then by the end of the episode, we see that she's feeding it to Cassidy. And she's just giving the dog the greatest day of its life. Right. I can't believe you would say that, that you're not a smart watcher of television because that's crazy. I didn't even see this metaphor. You're like the most obvious metaphor of all time. (laughs) I'm like, what? There's a metaphor. (laughs) I mean, I got what happened, right? It took me the second time to put it all together and to make sense why she was playing with the ball and stuff. Like Keith said, best day of the dog's life right. knowing that the dog was going out so as i'm watching it and and i'm being led along by the nose with the show also i mean it, there's no for me there was no way to project oh obviously that's gonna go and you know and feed and help cassidy i didn't know where it was going either so do not sell yourself short man well i, I just mean in the sense that like I, I don't know. I guess I just didn't pick up on it. I, I, I got too uh, consumed with this. I mean, Tulip, that's Tulip's character. Tulip is the stray dog, right? She's the, the dog that's been given up and nobody wants anything to do with, right? And so, now, and so she's adopting that. And that's all I was seeing it as. Uh, so then she, anyway, she brings it back, feeds it to Jesse. And so I, I just can't help but see that entire uh, setup as a direct link to what is happening to Tulip in the show. I think maybe uh, unintentionally, she's more or less being used as a prop to support the other two male characters in the show, right? Like, I'm getting the feeling that potentially by the end of the season or by the end of the series or whatever, she'll have been nothing more than this tool to uh, express Cassidy's storyline or to express Jesse's storyline. Like I said, in the first episode, 
she seems like this unique, strong character. And in every single episode since, she's been nothing but, I want Jesse back. And so that's been disappointing for me. Yeah, I, I still think I connect more with her backstory um, in kind of helping explain her motivation. But I agree. I mean, it's kind of sad to see that when Cassidy gets sidelined, so does Tulip. And why? Right? Mm-hmm. They didn't, they're both not linked in that way where they had to do that. But she's just like, well, I guess I'm just nursing him back to health and I'm not doing anything with Jesse right now. I mean, it just doesn't, you didn't have to do that right. other than maybe they felt like they had so much story that they wanted to tell. And I guess we can get into that, which is the story that they want to tell is basically like a 15 to 20 minute, like goofball siege of the church i loved it yeah yeah loved it loved it loved it right which is which is why i'm interested to hear you know your takes and i have to say that the siege on the church is the thing that took me the longest to come around on i ultimately did but the first time i watched it i was like what kind of what where did we (laughs) fall into like what hole yeah well, it felt like there were a lot of continu- continuity issues with it, right? Because at the end of the last episode, they were approaching the church at night, right? It yeah. was like pitch dark outside. But then at the beginning of this episode, by the time they actually attack the church, it's broad daylight. It's like noon. So it's like, did they just show up in this desert at three o'clock in the morning and sit there for nine hours? <laughs> Like, what were they doing? So that threw me off. And then it was so over the top. And maybe my impression is wrong. But the impression I got from the ending of the last episode was that there were a lot of guys approaching the church. But then you see the quote unquote army in this episode. And it's like 20 people. Like, there's not very many people there. And so in the notes, I wrote down that it's it felt a little bit like a Bugs Bunny cartoon to me. It just felt a little like Saturday morning cartoonish right. to me. Bugs is in his hole. Exactly. And all these guys are trying to get him out. Right. And they run in one at a time. And each guy's got his thing. You know, one guy is maybe it's the same guy who's mumbling food court to himself who then gets his dick shot off, which I will say. I wasn't a fan of the setup, but I did think like the aftermath of him, like mumbling to himself and continuing to talk to himself about it was funny. And like how kind of stoic about it. He was, I thought mm-hmm. that was funny. And then, and how much in pain he is. Yeah. By the end of that scene, he, right. he starts by mumbling, like it doesn't even hurt that bad. And by the end he's, <laughs> he's screaming. Right. So, so yeah. Yeah. Just it's, I think the, I think the, over the slaps, the, how slapstick it was just threw me off a little bit. Right. Rob, you liked it? Was it? Great. I thought it was great. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, the deck part was funny. The food court part was funny. It was strange that Jesse had enough bullets to take them out like that. That was mm-hmm. a little weird. Um, I liked that Kin Cannon was... Um, man, you, you guys are going to make fun of me. The, the Alamo, did that happen around the same time as the Civil War? I have no idea. Uh, I don't. I don't know my Texas history. Early, or I want to say earlier 1800s. Yeah. Okay, so he's he is definitely treating this as a civil war battle where he has you know units that go in like a certain um like 
uh, he's going to have a row go in, and then another minute, he's going to have another row go in. And they even have people, like, outside, like, setting up picnics to watch it, just like in the real Civil War. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why it took so long in between the battles, because they you, you kind of, like, you, you got ready, you did your stuff, you went in. Um, it's, that that's like a very early version of warfare. And that's kind of like how they were all anticipating it. Um, it's definitely messed up that you, you're right there. There are con- continuity issues with, with the daytime and the nighttime and that kind of stuff. Um, but I think they were trying to, trying to make it seem, I don't know, not cartoon. Well, I, I know what, I know what you're, what, what you're going at. You kind of, mentioned the notes I, I agree where they, they are kind of calling back to this old school style of war where there's no harm no foul on anyone who's going to get shot or hurt doing this thing families come out to support you know their side and to just watch it all happen and there's kind of this you know kind of fatalism attached to it where these two people it's like a duel you know, they came out to watch a duel and, uh, and I liked, I liked that setup. Um, but I don't know that they did enough with it. Right. Like it was interesting to see everybody come out and watch this standoff, so to speak. But even the guy getting his wiener blown off or the fight scene of Jesse beating up the four guys who run in mm-hmm. initially. It's all done off screen, you know, we're we're not seeing we're seeing the aftermath or we're seeing Ken Cannon give a bizarre rally speech about the the food court that he's going to have in their new factory. Um, I don't know still, even though I came around on the whole scene, I see the elements that they set up. I don't know that they paid off in a real way by the end of this of the episode because now Jesse has a few more days, right? Like mm-hmm. a week, a week. So, I mean, everyone's going to go home, I guess. Well, actually we don't know. We don't know if Ken Cannon agreed to that, but we're uh, yeah, assuming he, he agreed. <laughs> Stylized is the word I was looking for, but um, something that confuses me about that scene is does is Jesse at the point now where he does not want to use the word? Because why didn't he just say he's got the loudspeaker, put the guns down, stop shooting, go away, something like that? Like that. The first thing my wife said is, why doesn't he just say stop shooting? And he doesn't use it during that battle, right? He's shooting and he's not trying to kill them or anything. He's just trying to like shoot. I don't know their weapons out of their hands and stuff. Mm. But then when Donnie goes in. Of course, at that point, maybe it's because he's trying to defend himself, but he does use the word and he can't use the word at that point. It it was a little strange that he's got this superpower, you know, the ultimate power. And he didn't use it and it could have just like resolved the whole thing. So do you guys think he's in a new now that he has Genesis back, he doesn't want to use it? I think he was just itching for a fight. I think you, that you he think just, just wanted to fight. Okay. Yeah. I think he just saw an opportunity to shoot some wieners and punch some dudes. <laughs> and he's like, that's what I want to do. He just wanted to mix it up. 
He yeah, he, he wanted to mix up. I mean, I think he knew the whole time that his life wasn't in danger. It's not like they're they're trying to kill him. Um they just wanted to bring him to King Ken and sign over his land. I think it's mentioned either on the podcast or in the A V write up that the idea is after uh, having struggled with what he's done to Eugene and s- sort of getting glimpse of, of glimpses of how the word has affected people and uh, then having to really deal with it with these hallucinations, he's starting to become hesitant with using the word, uh, which is another reason why he willfully gives it up at one point in the episode. So I think that could probably explain it. I don't think the show does a great job mm-hmm. of portraying that. Yeah. But if I remember correctly, I they believe they talk about that in the podcast or maybe it's an idea in the AV Club article. I know I did not come up with it on my own because yeah. I didn't get that from watching the show. <laughs> yeah, it's not explicit in the show in any way. But I think that's kind of the idea is that he's hesitant. That was close. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Also, I wanted to point out that I mean, the whole, the whole, like I said, the whole, that whole scene just feels way like farcical to me. And there's also a point where, where people are like going up to the, to Sheriff Root and they're like, are they, are they, is this legal? There's a lot of like legal talk in mm-hmm. there somewhere where people are like, is this legal? And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, is this legal? And then next thing I know, they're just like 20 guys just laying waste to the side of this church. And I'm thinking like, okay, this, this part of it can't be legal. And yet there's the sheriff is just sitting right there yeah. watching the whole thing happen. Also thinking, hey, my son could be in there. Yeah, no, no, I was going to say that that was the biggest misstep of this episode. And that's the one thing that I think is a is a true oversight. You build up that Root is just he needs Eugene. He needs him back. He gets a phone call saying Eugene is back. And he doesn't run into the church. He doesn't try to get Eugene out. It literally makes no sense to that character. There's nothing stopping him from even yelling for Eugene to come out or going in after Eugene, telling uh, King Cannon to just calm down until Eugene comes out. And he doesn't. And he just seemingly gets caught up in it, where even as they are assaulting the church, it shows Root being not too worried about it, you know? Yeah. And that, to me, was just like... Again, could it be a scene lost on the cutting room floor? Possibly. But I think it speaks more to the fact that they don't really know what to do with the root. And the, ol- the only time he ever said anything positive about Eugene was that one time where he kind of like <clears throat> had an issue about what Kin Cannon was saying. Like everything else is just has not been positive at all. But you're right. There, there should have been nothing stopping Root from running into that church. There's no way Eugene would shot would shoot Hugo Root. There's no Eugene. Listen to me. <clears throat> Goodness, Jesse. There's no way Jesse would shoot Root mm-hmm. or shoot Emily. He called Root. Mayor. I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So they, it's it's very it's very disjointed the way that happens. But I was paying more attention of the, you know, the guys running up and getting shot and it sure. ended looking like a big giant, like B movie. Like it really felt like, yeah. like an eighties B movie. It felt like times. a Benny Hinn, uh, sequence. It reminded me of the, um, sequence from Inglorious Bastards 
right? Where they're making the Nazi propaganda film about the sniper in the tower. Oh, yeah. That's what it reminded me of. Like uh, he shot that axe out of that guy's hand and then it flew into the right. other guy's shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. No, some of that stuff was great. You know, I, yeah, I will. I'll say that. Before we uh, leave that scene, let's talk about uh, Donnie's turn. So in another moment of, uh, I think, pretty well done misleading, you see what appears to be, or at least what I thought was Donnie killing himself in the yeah. trunk of his car. Turns yep. out he was just uh, deafening himself. Very smart, right? Right, very smart. And, and that's what I want to say. I, and so all of a sudden, Donnie goes from this character who you've not liked at all this season. He's a bully. He's possibly an abuser. He just is, an, oh, he's a racist. He's just an overall not nice guy. And uh, he somehow makes this turn to where I'm not going to say that I like Donnie as a person. But I was uh, glad and sort of excited to see him turn the tables in such a smart way on Jesse. Um, and I also thought it was re- I thought the funniest moment of the show <laughs> was when uh, Ken Cannon asked him to do something and you just get this brief like motion from him because you know he can't hear anything <laughs> and Ken Cannon just dismiss- dismisses him immediately. Right. I thought that was the funniest moment of this show for me. But ha- so, how did you guys feel about Donnie's turn? Did you did you like the uh, were you mis- were you misled? Absolutely, I, I thought yeah. for sure he killed himself. Um, I I still can't root for him. Um, I, I see what you're saying. I, I still go back to the wife being the like the catalyst for him being a bully and that kind of stuff. Like she's, I think she's pulling the strings and making him the bad person. That's true. And that what, could be. what we saw about when we saw him in his, like, I guess weakened state and upset about, you know, Jesse using the power on him and stuff. I think that's more of the real Donnie or the conversation in the back alley with his son. Hey, I'm not hurting her on purpose. You know that? I think that's the real Donnie. Um, and then he's got this like bravo bully front that he puts on, I, whether it's, you know, because of his wife or to impress his wife or whatever. I'm not sure. Um, where was I going with that? Still don't root for him. Thought it was really, really clever what he did. Um, that came out of nowhere for me because I thought he was dead. I thought he was like, all right, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. And he just gave up, you know, because I thought he was a weak character. And then he comes back. And, you know, I was looking for more of a fight and Jesse kind of gave up. So that was kind of, it's kind of like a low moment in the, in the episode for me. Did you guys expect him to fight back or the whole, now that I think about it critically, that whole scene is very strange. He gets knocked out. I don't even remember what happened. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Donnie, just, Donnie like, knocks. All right. He's like, go for it. And and Donnie hits him with the with the gun. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, that's where I kind of got my theory about uh, Jesse just kind of wanting to mix it up for a bit, because I felt like he was always going to, you know, try and bargain his way out of this thing again. I think he he had that in the back of his mind, but I think his idea was basically I'm going to inflict as much pain as possible. Uh, before I get there. So yeah, it that, that's kind of, I didn't imagine that Jesse thought that night that he was going to be a martyr 
for this church. Um, I just think he wanted to to mix up. And when he saw that Donnie, you know, got the upper hand on him, he just basically went for his first plan altogether, which was give up and then bargain. Let's talk about Emily and Miles. They have some time in this episode. Is the the mayor has a name? Yeah, his name's Miles. <laughs> I, I believe his name's Miles. Yeah. Um wow. You 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 both are right though. Exactly. Oh, he yeah. doesn't have yeah. a name and it is Miles. Um yeah. Keith, I'll start with you since you seem to have the most uh the most reaction to Miles in the dishwashing scene. <laughs> but I'm not I'm just not really sure what to make of this dynamic. And I mean we get a scene of uh, I guess before you get the feeling that he's just sort of like a, uh, 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 he's just sort of like chasing this unobtainable woman. Right. And he's doing anything he can to get in her good graces, mm-hmm. uh, including what, <laughs> including, yeah, including, uh, uh, washing the dishes. Well, I mean, he wants a relationship, right. And all she wants apparently is casual sex. Yeah. Uh, but in this episode, he he also has a little bit of a turn, and he seems a little bit more uh, angry, I guess, right? You see him pouring spoiled milk into the kid's yeah. cereal. I wanted to ask you guys, that was, that was definitely spoiled milk, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. It did Because it was real, it was real, like, it, it was the wrong color. Well, yeah. you, you saw him react to it. Right. His yeah. first reaction to sniff it was to kind of jerk back. Yeah. Oh my god. Um so what do you Keith, what do you make of this yeah, situation? So at first I was like, this is the quickest turnaround of a character I've ever seen from kind of ineffectual good guy to outright henchman villain. Yeah. But then you realize like he saw Kin Cannon kill right. like four <laughs> or five innocent people. And yeah. apparently has helped him cover it up to a certain extent. So his hands have been dirty for a while. Now, that actor, I don't think was able to build up a transformation. I think we just need to believe it. That when push came to shove, he made a decision to side with King Cannon and quote unquote the city. The town. Mm-hmm. Um, now Emily's turn, because she's allowing him to put his his arm around yeah, she's her. She's kind of putting Jesse in the church above her family. Well, she's now. I I got the sense that he that she's now siding with Miles. That Miles has kind of won her over to his side. Well, didn't she, by the very very end. By the very very oh, end. By the very. And very I think okay. Jesse's thinking. Jesse Justin's thinking during the battle. You're thinking right. after the battle. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, I'm conflating it all together. I honestly don't remember their scene at the end. I know they had one, but I don't really remember it. Yeah, it's it's him just sitting there with his arm around her. And oh, she's okay. and she's letting uh him, but it he intros his his arm move by basically saying, I'm for the town. Kin Cannon will help us the most. That's right. That's right. And so we just need to you know, give up on Jesse right. and she seemingly relents at that point. 
His motivations are strange, but I it, I think you're right. I think it's just some type of power play, and we have to go with it as mm-hmm. if um, <laughs> as if they've given us enough reason to do that, even though they haven't. Yeah, I mean, again, he's he's participated in covering up multiple murders of innocent people. So we're I think we're just supposed to take that as shorthand. But apparently, Emily is just she's tired of putting up with everything as well. But he's like so lockstep with Ken Cannon. It's very strange. Yeah, it's very strange. He's 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 now like not even uh mildly on board. He is driving the Ken Cannon show. It's almost <laughs> like Ken Cannon used the word on him. Mm-hmm. That's how he's responding right now. Exactly. All right. We also get uh so the the angels come back. They have their extraction scene. We've had a little bit of speculation in group about the who the angels are and what their motivations might be. I don't know if you guys want to talk about that, but let's uh, go through the this extraction scene a little bit. Um, they get Genesis to go into the coffee container by singing it a lullaby, mm. and then it breaks free and goes back. And it to breaks Jesse. the can now, right? Yep. Yep. The domicile. So apparently it's, uh, cannot be contained again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Rob, I know you had a theory on the angels after, because you've been rewatching the season with your wife, right? Yep. So We've watched all the way through now. Yeah. So, so what are your feelings on the angels? Who do you think they are? Uh, and what'd you feel about the scene? I think Fior is an angel. I think LeBlanc is not an angel. Now, which um, one is Fior and which one is LeBlanc? LeBlanc is the bearded one? Yes. Okay. And Fior is the... Tall, skinny <laughs> goofy, guy. Goofy looking one. Yeah. Um, so, I was thinking about this and then I was re-watching some scenes, you know, re-watching it with my wife. They, they say there's a strange scene where... They, they're, I think when they're talking to Jesse in the diner about them being angels, he says, you know, we're angels. And then LeBlanc's like, both of us. And then Fjord's like, yes, both of us, which I thought was out of place. And they also, they have made reference to these phones, that the phones that call heaven. Right. That, and Jesse's like, if I, if I pick that phone up, I can call heaven right now? And he's like, no, you have to have angel hands to touch, to use the phone. And... Remember in the very long extended the phone is ringing scene, Fior is the only one that can answer it for whatever reason. He's the one, like LeBlanc is prepping him to answer it and how to answer it. Mm-hmm. He goes to pick it up and then it stops ringing, of course. But, you know, why wouldn't LeBlanc just answer it? Right. So those, those few things made me feel as if maybe... It's like one from each side trying to get him back. And that's why they're working together to um, maybe that's why they're the babysitters, you know, like one right. from each side, each team or whatever. Um, it also was interesting when Fior was like, bad boy. And right. LeBlanc was like, no, you know, don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like we don't want we don't want. We don't want to yell at it. You know, we just we want to get it back at its domicile or whatever. Um, which is kind of a little backwards because LeBlanc wants to do the singing. Fior wants to open him up with the chainsaw, mm-hmm. you know, and then throughout, if you, if you watch it, 
throughout constantly fior is always like you know traitors and the people that did this you know were terrible you know he he is he has more than once you know said something about the maybe it was all in that one conversation but said something about you know the angel and the demon that that got together to make genesis and the blanc doesn't have anything bad to say about that mm-hmm. so i so i felt like those pieces led me to hey maybe leblanc isn't an angel and then but why are they both on that um wanted poster well heaven knows that they are well i guess here's where my theory falls apart heaven knows that they are the babysitters Genesis is babysitters, right? But they don't specifically know that they are out because Genesis is out. So mm. maybe my theory falls apart at mm. that point because they were both on that wanted poster that the Seraphim had. Right. Yeah. So there's a, there's a really interesting theory on Reddit that takes your theory one step th- further and proposes that Fior and LeBlanc are Genesis's Genesis's parents. Okay. Um, however, that would, that make would them however an that angel would and work. a demon, right? Right. Exactly. That would make them an angel and a demon, and it also sort of supports the uh, lullaby singing that LeBlanc does, and how sort of nurturing LeBlanc tends to be. It it it's the it's it's a it's an idea that as soon as you as soon as you read the title, you're just like this is ridiculous and this person has way too much time on their hands and by the end of it i was like i think this guy is probably right like this makes a whole lot of sense right now right we look at them as men but they're not men they're angels right right. you know sexually they're very different than humans so it it could work i mean that that could absolutely definitely work especially with that scene i was just talking about with like the the mom and the dad, you know, disagreeing on how to uh, chastise Genesis once he got back into the can. And it also explains the wanted poster because they're, you know, more or less criminals for m- mixing races, I guess. That's <laughs> 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 thing I could come to. Let's not go there. Yeah. A, I'd like to see a screen cap of the, <laughs> of the, the paper. Because I thought they were wanted because they had left heaven without permission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, but I'm not sure what the paper says. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, cut this baby in half and say both theories are wrong. Uh, I really like yours, Rob. Um, and I think w- one thing that I've been dealing with, especially as we've been doing uh, podcasts specifically about TV shows. And, you know, really, we, we are not professionals. We, we do just like to get together and discuss these episodes together, you know, together in these shows. But it's something I've been thinking about as I listen to podcasts like ours on other shows as well, Game of Thrones being probably the, the, the biggest one, is that I, I get the I sense. predict what you're going to say. Sure. I, or do I, I don't want to steal your thunder. Please go no, ahead. No, 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 no. I, I, I want to see if you can get a point right here, <laughs> live on podcast. Go for it. I predict that Keith is going to say that, that we are, I'm reading too much into it, and I am writing it better than the actual show writers are writing it, because I'm putting more thought, not necessarily better, but putting more thought into it 
Something along those lines. Rob, you got it. You got a point. <laughs> That needs to go on the big board. Um, it's the whole it's the whole lost thing all over again. Yeah, these great ideas and lost, yes. and they're like, nah, it's just a donkey wheel. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> been it's been that it's been haunting me honestly since Lost. Is that and and Justin and I kind of talked about this too, um, although we we were talking about critics specifically because what happens is we have an environment now where everyone has a voice, so what happens is. You create something, you let it loose into the world, and there are people who, like, they love the source material, right? Or they are now pulling out every frame of your show because they have the technology, they have the time, but also, I think people overlook this, they have the interest. Like, I think it's, it's, I'm of the argument that it's a good thing. I think some showrunners get exacerbated by it because... It is like, um, it's too much, you know, and they have to like have spoilers and they have to lie to people and they have to like keep things silent. But when you listen to a really good podcast, you realize like, oh man, that is a really good theory. And again, I I relate it more to the Game of Thrones podcast that I listen to, but there's some people I listen to and I'm like, man, they have like ingested the books. They've ingested the show and they are probably in a better place to write, not maybe not the whole show, but write at least this plot point or to help strengthen a plot point. Um, And you realize that maybe a lot of times writers are like preacher isn't paying for their mansion, you know, and (laughs) that they are doing other things as well or there are multiple yeah. writers that aren't necessarily every single day in communication with one another that it's a mirror. You know, people say when they make a movie, uh, you know, making a movie is a miracle to think that so many people can come together and create this thing. I think a show has an element of that as well, where if you look and the insider podcast is really good about this, where they'll, they'll kind of say, Oh yeah, we had no time to run through this. You know, and uh, Dominic Cooper just got the script that morning and stood up and did just a great job. And you're like, well, did he, does he, what, what's his take? You know, and right. you realize that there's a lot of ego too, where if somebody, a director feels like they're being threatened, sometimes even on the insider thing, you see them like, well, this is my take on it, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, wow, to fight ego, personality, time, and budget. You're going to have things that don't add up. And, you're, and you're, you are, in some respects, I think, creating a mood piece with any television show. Because it's not going to be, you're not going to have time to fill out all the corners. Um, and so I've, I've been trying to let go a little bit of some of these shows and be okay with things that don't add up and try to get on board with what they are doing. But I think that your theory is strong i think that reddit theory is great the writers did not think about it that much they they you know these two guys are from the comics they said we want them they cast them and different writers are writing them Mm -hmm. but that's why podcasts are so awesome because it's fun to do this it's fun to think about this stuff and theorize with you guys and listen to other people theorize 
you know, that's just great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and exactly. I think, I think that's why I keep listening to those podcasts and some people get annoyed or frustrated. That's why I'm fine with both sides of it. I'm fine with showrunners trying to outwit the audience. I'm fine with the audience using everything in their power to predict a, a show. I enjoy the conversation. Justin things <laughs> this week that made me think about you guys. The first one was Justin Eugene when he came up. He kind of like spit up a little bit. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Did you think that was awesome? <laughs> Uh, I I thought it was something. I don't know if Austin was the his word. his what was going on with his mouth in that scene <laughs> was enough to gross me out. So I yeah. know Justin yeah, was, was actively uh, probably not looking at the screen. So that made me think of you, and then um, you Keith. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was the week before. The week before, you specifically said that Ken Cannon worships the god of meat, and I think you did it as a joke. <laughs> and they said, he specifically said, it's the God of meat. And I couldn't believe it. I almost fell over. You yeah. Should have point for that. I like, I thought like that you would die laughing at that because <laughs> that is just like so crazy. Spot couldn't on. Believe couldn't believe it. Word for word. God of meat. <laughs> yeah. Good job. So much for your, your writers, um, podcasters theory right there. Right. Cause you nailed that one. Yep. So the episode ends with a some sort of worker in an underground, or I'm assuming underground, uh, room with a giant panel that is blinking danger, and it's about to explode. Uh, and my takeaway from that was that it was somehow correlates to the ventilating pipes that we've seen throughout the season mm-hmm. and obviously some sort of the, pressure is building up in the last week or so my wife and i we've watched the whole thing so i've watched it all over again so sometimes three four times on these episodes that that machine has been shown in like bits and pieces a bunch of times oh, okay this is one where you know where it was like the longest scene but we've seen that guy in there fussing with that it's also in the credit sequence. You can see the machine there. Oh, good catch. There you go. Um, I really think that the place is going to blow, whether it's Jesse's doing or the, um, the power plant, because I think that has to do with the power plant. They are releasing pressure, right? Um, and that's when, like, in the second episode or the first, the end of the, I think it's the end of the second episode, that pipe goes, you know, mm-hmm. right at the very end. And we're like, what is that? You know, well, that's weird. So I think that's them releasing pressure. Also, do you remember I asked about ammonia? Like, why, why, can, why can she not read that word ammonia? I, I figured it out. So it wasn't that she couldn't read it because she's dumb. It's that because Emily has bad handwriting. That's, that's the Rob part of the theory. The factual part of the theory Ammonium nitrate is is what you make to use um those like fertilizer bombs. And how do you make that? Ammonia mm. and cow poop. Mm. And what is there a lot of in this area? Cow poop. Yeah. So they use the word ammonia for some weird reason. It's in the church. There's cow poop. There's pressure. This place is going to explode big time. 
I agree. A hundred percent. You get the point for that one if that comes up. But you're you're absolutely right. <laughs> All right. Does anybody have anything else? Uh, Why did Genesis go back into Jesse? Uh, he found a host that he can live in, I guess. Because he uses the power. And yeah, Genesis maybe. wants the power to be used. Yeah. Because there was nowhere else to go. Yeah, I think that he likes Jesse. I think he was sending a message to his, his parents. parents. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, he's not going to be contained there anymore. So he came out just to destroy the home and then go right back in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I got one more thing, but I don't want to. Go ahead. Cut off. So I think. Tonight, we've had a few pronunciation issues, like I just did right there. Mm -hmm. Um, I said exacerbated. Mm -hmm. I think I meant exasperated. Okay. There's one that was bothering me. Or did you mean masturbated? Right. (laughs) That takes this podcast in a whole different direction. Um, And Justin, are are you saying that Eugene is... Jesse's conscience or conscious? Conscience. Conscience. He's All the right. voice inside of Jesse's head. Yeah, I thought I heard you say consciousness. I may have. Or conscious. I may have. But what I mean to say is the voice inside Jesse's head. Right. The Jiminy Cricket. Sure. The conscience. All right. Now that the uh, pedantry is out of the way. <laughs> hey, I know that somebody would be listening and maybe they'd already turn it off by now. Uh-huh. But I just want on the record that I know. All right. Jesse washed dishes in this scene. I saw him wash a glass. Did you, did you like that, Keith? Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking special note of all the dishwashing. I think that there's a hidden theme going on. I'm going to crack it. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Everything Preacher. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Our website is eipodcast.com, where you can find the Preacher big board that we've been talking about. I'll also have uh, links to everything we've talked about, the Reddit thread, the AV article, all that stuff on the website or in the show notes of the podcast app that you're listening to this in. You can follow the show on Twitter. We are at eipodcasts. I am on Twitter. I'm at Blizzard with nine Z's. I'm at Things Come Right. I'm at Shiny underscore Rob. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.